Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider. And today, I am actually introducing a new segment into the rotation. This is going to be the Wednesday watch list. And the reason that I decided to end up adding this into the rotation is there's just so many different stories going on with this Thunder team right now. We have so many young pieces. We have a ton of picks to monitor with some of these other teams. And we got the team really changing by the day right now. So the thing that ended up happening and just that I kind of see going on just moving into the season, we have three or four games pretty much every single week. And trying to pump out all these like under the radar stories that I find cool and I think others also do, it's really hard to put emphasis on those things while I have, you know, the game previews and recaps in there. And I try to sprinkle in some of these tiny stories when I do the previews and recaps, but I never am able to kind of go into it in depth like I'd like to. So that's why I have the Wednesday watch list. And I know that I'm posting this probably super duper late on Wednesday. So you guys are not even going to be listening to it on Wednesday, at least the majority of you guys. I may have to change it to like the weekly watch list or something, but as of right now, I'm sticking with the Wednesday watch list. And what I'm going to be going over in today's podcast, I'm going to kick things off with just some quick game summaries from week one of our regular season. I'm going to be talking about who's been hot on our team and who has not been hot. So I'm going to give you all my top eight players of the week, one through eight rankings, and then just some of the other players who didn't quite make it. And then I'm also just going to be giving some brief stories around the NBA, the Cade Cunningham leaderboard, and this episode's featured story, the G League Spotlight. So just going into the games that we played, we ended up playing three games in week one of the regular season. We went one of two. Originally, we were supposed to play Houston last week, and everyone was already covering that. We all know what happened. Like They couldn't even get eight guys on the court, so... Game never happened. We'll see how they're able to reschedule it, if they even are able to. As of right now, I'm not really putting that in the realm of possibility. Anyways, we didn't play that one. Our first game was against the Charlotte Hornets. We took that game 109-107. We had a 13-point lead with two minutes to go in that game. We ended up coughing that lead up big time, and the Hornets went on an 18-5 run to tie things up at 107 apiece. But then this happened. At this point of ball game. Well, if you're Charlotte, why not put a little pressure? That's what you've been employing here the entire second half. I should say the entire last two minutes. SGA's got to move quickly, gets across the timeline. Puts a move on, steps back, shot on the way, is good! SGA regains the lead for the Thunder. At the perfect time on a little step back jumper with 1.4 seconds left. So yeah, as you guys heard from that clip, SGA was able to hit the 23-foot dagger. I think he left like 1.7 seconds left on the clock. But can we just recognize how big of a downplay that was from Chris Fisher? Like, oh my goodness, he hits the game winner in the in the opener, and that's all you're giving us? Like, come on, man. I expected a bit more. The um Hornets broadcasting team they had a bit better of a reaction they were kind of screaming about it for a second or two there so I suggest you listen to that one 
if you want to hear a better reaction. But yeah, we were able to get that 109-107 lead. The Hornets got an inbound off. They got it to half court. They they sent up like a 33-foot prayer. Terry Rozier was like triple teamed or something. Barely even touched the backboard. We ended up winning that 109 107. SGA put up 27 points, 7 boards, and 9 assists in that game. And George Hill dropped 21 points in his Thunder debut. So really solid from him. In our second game, we were taken down by the Utah Jazz 109-110. We had a lead as big as 13 in that game, but Donovan Mitchell completely went off in the fourth quarter. Originally, he was just 3 of 15 in the first three quarters of that game. He was getting clamped up by Lou Dort, so he did an excellent job there. But in the fourth, he ended up piling in 12 points of his own, including the eventual game winner. Uh, That was a two-foot layup with seven seconds to go. Really, the real reason they won this game, they were doing high pick and rolls all night. Horford was staying back on screens, and it led to a lot of wide-open mid-range shots for guys like Mitchell uh, Clarkson. And I think there was even a play or two where Bojan Bogdanovic got some shots open off some screens. But yeah, um, overall, I'd say it was kind of a solid game for us, even though we didn't get the result we wanted. Lou Dort was spectacular. He dropped 26 points on 9 of 11 shooting. He went 3 of 7 from downtown on there, and he held Mitchell to 8 of 20 from the field. So he was great from everywhere in that game. In our third game on Tuesday, we were coming off the second night of a back-to-back. That game against Utah was on Monday. This one was on Tuesday. We fell to the Magic 107-118. We had two starters, Al Horford and George Hill, out. And the Magic took complete advantage of that, especially with Al Horford gone, since we really don't have like a true center without him. The Magic had 72 points in the paint, and their center, Nikola Vucevic, had 28 points. Ridiculous from them. They were just abusing the paint, as they should have. But for the Thunder, our replacements for Hill and Horford in the lineup were Justin Jackson and Isaiah Roby. Now, Justin Jackson, he didn't really pop out to me in that game. He played 29 minutes. He had eight points, I believe, on like three of six shooting. 0-3 from downtown. He really wasn't a huge factor. But Isaiah Roby dominated. And I think there was a real case. He was the player of the game in Tuesday's matchup. He had 19 points on 9 of 12 shooting. He had seven boards and two blocks in just 28 minutes. And there was a play, actually, in that game. He broke Nikola Vucevic's ankles at the top of the three-point line and drove in, threw down an absolute hammer. Take a listen to this. Being a lead playmaker, but somebody that can finish possessions as well. All right, thank you, Nick. What a move. Roby goes up and soars for the slam as he put Vukovic on his back. So, yeah, Roby had a real cool play on that that drive he had. It actually was, like, number five on SportsCenter, so I'm surprised we even got any airtime on ESPN. We know that. They're not giving us any love. We have zero national television games, but whatever. Roby made the most of his opportunity. I did a whole 20-minute segment on him in yesterday's podcast, so if you want to hear more about Roby, make sure to check him out on there. And alongside Roby, all these other games, I did recaps and previews on all of them, so 
there's one in particular you want to listen to. I know Tuesday's matchup you may have missed due to the Oklahoma State football game. So, hey, maybe you guys would like a summary on that one. Um, alongside all the others, like I said, check out the previous podcast. But anyways, moving on to just how our players performed in this week. Uh, giving you guys my top eight rankings on who's been hot and who has not for the Thunder. Kicking things off, number one, SGA has to be at the top of the leaderboards. In his three games thus far, SGA has led us in points. He's averaging 23.3. He's averaging 5.7 rebounds in almost eight assists with 7.7, doing this in 34 minutes a contest. With SGA, the biggest question mark was, could he be the true point guard for us? And he sure can. As I said, he's leading the team with 7.7 assists. He is able to drive inside with relative ease, and he will blow by his defender. He forces double teams and maybe even triple teams at some point. He, he requires that help, and that leaves guys wide open in the corner. And he has not been, you know, hesitant to pass to these guys. If he sees somebody open, he has given it to him, I'd say, 90% of the time. The only time, really, that I will say I would have liked to see him pass the ball more is in some of these pick-and-pop situations. He will go down low and in the basket, and he will have a wide-open shooter like a Muscala, for instance, at the top of the key. He doesn't really look over there. I think in time, he will start hitting people up on those pick and pops when he drives, brings both guys. Uh, he's he's got to be able to kick it out to the top of the key, but really that's the only issue I've had with him passing. So he's been excellent there, and he's been creating shots for himself when he's driving. Uh, I told you about the passing, but he's just as good at finishing inside, guys. And there was really some times outside that he was struggling. In his first two games, he shot 2 of 13, from downtown so you don't want to see that from him but he really tightened things up and in the third game against the magic he went three of three from downtown and he was doing so well in that magic game the magic were actually double teaming him at times to prevent him from doing anything off of these pick and rolls or pick and pops he was doubled and that's why i brought up the wide open guys at the top of the key it's whatever Point being, he shot 3 of 3, and I think overall in this game, he was like 8 of 10. Really with two guys draped all over him. So, perfect start with him. Really, there's not much I can complain about. I'm nitpicking whenever I'm complaining about SGA's first week performance. But, number 2, you have Lou Dort. Dort um, has been a pleasant surprise on the offensive end. He's averaging near 19 points a game. He had two 15-point outings. And then that 26-point game against the Jazz this week, total beast. I mean, on defense, let's just be real. We all know how good he is. He wasn't, like, spectacular in the opener, but in that Jazz game, and particularly in the Magic game, he was elite on defense, stopping Mitchell so much. And then with the Magic, he was still playing complete lockdown defense. Um, let's see here. I think that he may have even averaged. Yeah, he averaged over a steal game. He was averaging 1.3. He had one block in the course of those three games, but 
he was contesting everything. So uh, he wasn't blocking him, but he forced a lot of misses. Very good stuff from him. And on the rebound side of things, I know I didn't go into it too much. He's averaging four and then one assist. The key thing I do want to talk about, though, is just the three ball. I made an art article on my blog, Singler 4 mvpcom Always try to plug this, but make sure to check it out, guys. I did a story highlighting Dort, and the thing that I said was, him with a three, it turns him into like a top 15 shooting guard in the NBA. And I think he played like a top 15 shooting guard this week. He was 8 of 15 from the 3, and in the opener, he was super-duper passive. When it came to getting the 3-ball off, Like at times he just didn't want to take it. But in the final two games, he was taking it every time he had the open look, and he even tried creating shots for himself from downtown in that last game. So, really impressive stuff from him. Number 3 on this list, it may be a bit of a shocker to some people, I got Moneymaker Mike. Give me Mike Muscala in the three games. He was averaging 12 points a game, two rebounds, or excuse me, three rebounds and an assist. So with him, you know, you may be like, why on earth is he the number three dude on this team? There definitely has to be people who put up better averages than that. And you're completely right. But I have him so high because he was the most consistent player off the bench for us. He was killing it from downtown, just like Dort. He shot 8 of 15 in his three games. And the thing that impressed me so much, he was so comfortable as the screen setter in the games. He's the perfect guy you want in the pick and pop. He's probably the best dude on our roster whenever you're looking for pick and pops. So no issue there. And then even inside, he was setting screens down low and flipping up some like shots in the paint complete natural and I had a bit of a question mark on just how he would perform inside he's doing great on the offensive end and on defense I think he's holding up just fine so I really like him he's not the flashiest dude like I've said I think there's some other people on the team you may already know who I'm picking at four but there's some other dudes on this team who are just bigger names than him let's be honest I just thought he did so consistent I had I had to give him the nod here at number three At number four, I got Darius Baisley. In his games, he was averaging 10 points, 9 rebounds, and 1 assist. He had a good opener. I think he had a double-double with like 15 and 10. In his final two games, he was not uh, as productive. I think in the third game against the Magic, he only had like 6 points or something. So scoring was not his forte in the final two. But I have him here for things that didn't show up on the stat sheet, particularly ball handling. Spectacular. People were thinking that Baisley could be a point forward for us, and he has showed it so far. He's so dominant with the ball in his hands. He's able to get by the first layer of defense like every single time. If you have a power forward on him, he's getting by him. Um, But what I ended up seeing... In these three games, the second layer of defense kept getting to Baisley and it kept forcing him into passing the ball out or taking shots that he simply shouldn't be taking, if I'm just going to be honest with you. So getting past the first layer of defense, he's great. Swapping out maybe like Horford from Muscala or something, so you have a bigger um, area to work with inside, that may do wonders for him. 
But just looking at how he played, I think he was so good with the ball in his hands. Rebounding-wise, nine rebounds a game. He's one of the best rebounders on our team, and he's only six foot eight, playing power forward. He's snagging rebounds over guys like Bismack Biombo. There was one in particular. He just reached right over the guy. Biombo thought he had it. There was no one in the area except for Biombo until Baisley just came out of nowhere, swiped the thing from like over his head, really, and then took the ball the other way. So there are some really impressive plays from him. When it came to rebounds, he was tipping it to himself a lot of the times, kind of uh, getting himself in a spot where he can actually maintain possession with the ball because he's six foot eight going against like seven footers. So expecting him to come down with it immediately, a little bit hard. Um, I think he maybe knew his limit there and was doing his best to bat the ball away so he or one of his teammates got it. So loved seeing that from him, but. I just think shooting-wise, he'll get that stroke back. He had a couple bad performances, I'd say. He was a little bit inconsistent getting the ball in the basket, but it's not a big issue. I think number four is a decent spot for him. Number five, I have George Hill, and I kind of contemplated where I wanted to put him. He only played two games so far. He played two out of the three. He had some neck strains. That's why he didn't play in the third one. But he was averaging 17.5 points, near 5 rebounds, and near 4 assists. Great stuff from him. He is a consistent guy. And personally, I did not expect George Hill to have the impact that he was giving us. Like, I expected him to be a role player, like at times the ball handler. I know he, I think he led the NBA in 3-point shooting last season, but I didn't know, like he would be continuing that with us. He was perfect in that first game. He was 4-4 from downtown. I forgot exactly what he was in that second game, but he was able to work from outside in the first game and then in the second game, the thing that I love so much. He's super fast, by the way. You wouldn't expect that from him. He's so fast. He was able to find his spots inside pretty much at will. If you give him an inch, he is taking a mile and finding a high percentage shot uh, inside, Uh, for instance, layups. He had so many of those in that second game against the Jazz. Really liked what I saw from him. Now, the sixth dude that I have, Isaiah Roby, and I could have put him as high as three just based off his one night, but due to the sample size, I had to take him down a bit. That's how he fell here at six. In his one game, he had 19 points, seven rebounds, a steal, and two blocks. So he was active everywhere. If you want to hear more about his game, like I said, you can check out the last podcast. But anyways, great defender for his size at 6'8", fast enough to guard the guards and small forwards around the perimeter. Inside, he does a great job positioning himself, and he's not going to foul a ton when you're six foot eight going on seven footers, you're going to occasionally give up a basket, and that's what happened in the Magic game. But I still think he's a solid four. And at times, at the five, I think he could do some damage. He may be our best defender in the pick and roll. He's fast enough to cover the ball handler off the screen. He can hedge and then race right back onto the big man who would be rolling to the basket. And he's athletic enough to where he can contest the shot even if he's still a little bit behind. 
when the center goes up for his shot. And then on offense, he might be one of our best screen setters too. Same deal. You just got to flip offense to defense. He's too fast for that big man when he's rolling, and he's too tall for the guards. We've seen a tendency for SGA to want to go inside on these screens, so it'd be two players rolling. If SGA off these Roby screens stays out for three, that's when a ton of damage is going to be done or just spots up right off the screen and shoots it moving. If he can get consistent from there, the Roby SGA screens will be straight up deadly and it will be an issue for any team. And I think they would have to game plan on that exact scenario because he's able to get SGA open and Roby's able to get himself open because he's just too fast for that center. Anyways, he also showed some shooting potential. He was one of two on threes. He was good in the preseason. He should have shot the three way more. He was left wide open in the Magic game, but he was kind of hesitant on pulling. He needs to shoot it a bit more because if he was able to hit a couple more of those, he would have been set for like 25 points on that game. So expanding range, that's a big thing I want to see from him, but great, great season opener. Number seven, you got Hamadou Diallo. In his three games, he averaged nine points, seven rebounds, and 1.3 steals a game. So he was active on both sides. He loves playing iso ball, and that's been apparent throughout his career. When he's feeling it, he is taking it right to the rack, and he kind of gets tunnel vision at times. He kind of fixed that in, in this week's game. Like, he was open and driving in and if the shot was not there he would pass it out normally he will just jack it up regardless and that's how he leads to some of these low field goal percentage games and other times I mean he just wants to shoot it over and over again when he's not feeling it he knew when he was in rhythm and when he wasn't when he was in rhythm he would go in and take control of the team he would take the backseat when he was not feeling it. And that's what I love to see. I love to see him kind of restricting himself and knowing when his spots to shine are. Rebounding, he's so athletic. I've said that he is probably our best offensive rebounder in a previous uh, podcast. I forgot which exactly it was, but I definitely remember saying that before. I still agree with that statement. Uh, 1.7 of his rebounds were coming on the offensive side of things. That's nothing new for him. Love Sky enough for those rebounds, and that's where he gets a good portion of his shots. He will get that offensive rebound and immediately jack it right back up for the layup. On defense, he was still bringing that same intensity, trying to get the rebounds, and that's something you don't find from shooting guards too often. He wants to hustle there, and he was making heads-up play, heads-up, plays on defense too he was caught uh picking some people's pockets in some of those games at number eight i have kenrich williams now williams isn't a statue stuffer by any means he only averaged three points he had 1.7 rebounds and an assist in those three games but here's the thing he has so many hustle plays he can guard the three or four for us he was keeping the floor spaced out and he gets you the rebounds. He's all about the dirty work, and that's exactly what we need. I have him at eight just because the presence there on that second unit made us so much better in our games. 
people who I believe received votes, but I kind of just had to leave them right out. Number one, it's Al Horford, man. Horford, I mean, he was so promising in those first couple of preseason games. He only averaged seven points, nine rebounds, and three and a half assists in his two games. The three ball was not there for him. He was nice on the glass. The reason that I don't have him in the top eight, he was killed by Gobert in the Utah game. Like, I think, hypothetically, if we swapped out Horford for a Muscala or Roby in that game, we would have won because the only reason the Jazz stole that one was off the high pick and rolls. And it was a two-on-one situation every single time. Actually, I'll take it back. It was a wide-open shot every single time because Gobert took out whoever he was screening and there was no help from Horford. So it was just wide open shots. And that's how they really took over the fourth quarter and pulled that one out. I got the rookies here too. I got Teo Maladon. He got great looks for himself in the game. There were a lot of open catch and shoots that he had in the week, but he just wasn't able to convert. He was getting good passes to others, but he was caught making just some very silly turnovers. He had a ton of travels. I think he got a little bit of a rain check in the first game because the spacing was terrible and he really can't operate with a little bit of room. He needs kind of a lot of the court to operate with to see him at his best. He likes the ISO or pick and rolls a lot. He just didn't get that in those in this week, so I could see him maybe skying up in the next week's um, list. But yeah. Showed some promise, just wasn't able to convert. All I gotta say is he got he has to limit those turnovers. He was putting up some crazy stuff. Be a little bit more patient, and I think he could be in that top eight. Also at Poku, um shot one of sixteen in these three games. That's six percent. Wow. The ironic part was his one field goal came off a tip in. It wasn't even off a three, and he was jacking up so many threes. Really, really like hard to watch as a fan um, because he was getting so many good looks. He just never was able to hit it from outside. I love what I saw from him rebounding. I mean, he has that seven foot three wingspan, so he really doesn't even have to jump to get these rebounds. He just kind of snags it over you. In the pick and roll, he was actually a good ball handler in the pick and roll. Like Muscala and him had two conversions in the previous game against the Magic. One of them. He did a little behind-the-back pass to Muscala for a three. And in the other, he just threw the ball right over two guys for a wide-open Muscala layup. And then shot blocking. With that frame, he will contest you. I think he may have had some fouling issues in in the games, but in time, I think that should be kind of smoothened out. If he was hitting his threes, man... I could have seen him in the top eight because that was the only knock on his game. I thought he looked really, really good with us this week. Justin Jackson is the last dude on this list. I don't really think he would have any votes if I were to give this out to other people. Maybe. But he's he was really slow-paced in this game. I truthfully don't know like what his position was in the game because he was guarding Evan Fournier on offense, but he really... At six foot seven, four or a three, and he's a little bit too slow to be a three. I feel like, but his defense 
does not make up for the size. I think if you're playing at power forward, being 6'7 or 6'8, you need to be really good on defense, uh, especially in the interior. Jackson just hasn't shown that so far, so I didn't love the defensive performance. He kind of just was chilling out there most of the time in his uh, debut with us, but yeah. He was 0-3 from deep. He's kind of been pinned as a catch-and-shoot player. He just hasn't shown that yet. There must have been something Sam Presti saw in him to keep him on the roster. So don't already, you know, start hating Jackson yet. But he just hasn't shown that shot yet. Maybe in time it will come. Kept going with these weird runners, man. He loves going for these 15-foot contested runners. One or two of them fell in the game, and that's where he got the majority of his points. But I'm not a big fan of the shot selection. He kind of was a little bit of an awkward fit in these first three games, but that was just not even the first three, just his one game. Think more time he'll be able to mesh with the second unit better. We didn't see action from Ty Jerome, Ariza, or Darius Miller, so I left them off the list. Two-way player Josh Hall played in the Orlando game, but played for like 30 seconds, so I'm not even going to put him on there, man. But yeah, moving on to the stories around the league, the James Harden situation still is the same. He wants out of Houston, really just a matter of how he gets out of there and when he gets out of there. As we all know, we have the Houston Rockets 1-4 through protected pick so unless it's one through four we're taking it when Harden's on this team they're going to be winning games but once he's gone we really don't know what the Rockets team will look like John Wall has looked pretty decent for the team and Christian Wood has been a budding star for the Rockets he emerged with the Pistons last season and he's continuing to build on his success in Houston I'm loving what I'm seeing from him so I don't think even taking Harden off this team, I don't think they're a one through four projected team. We know the lottery is all weird, so they could end up being like ninth in the rankings and still have a top four pick. Kind of just a toss up. But yeah, expect to see the Rockets trade Harden at some point this year. There's not really any new news or situations with him. But yeah, just keeping you guys updated with him. John Morant is sidelined for three to five weeks. He has a grade two left ankle sprain. The Grizzlies right now are sitting at a one and two record. And behind Morant, they have Tyus Jones. And I think DeAnthony Melton is their third string point guard. Both of them are out. So they don't have a true point guard active for their games right now. That may potentially be an issue for them. And I think you should be monitoring them in the standings while Morant is gone because they do have a huge void to fill at the point guard. Another team, Kevin Love for the Cavs. He's out three to four weeks with a calf strain. Cavs are sitting at three and one right now. They lost their first game on Tuesday versus the Knicks, but they have Larry Nance Jr. as a replacement, and Nance has looked solid with the Cavs so far, so I don't really know how big of a loss Love will be for them right now. But I had them on the list, the Cade Cunningham leaderboard list, before the start of the season. They're 3-1 and one right now, so they're safe. And they've been looking really good. But maybe they slide with the rankings with Love out. I'm kind of high on Nance Jr. as their backup. But I don't know. Maybe this, this loss of Love 
is a bit bigger than we think. Moving on to the Cade Cunningham leaderboard. This really is just giving you guys the standings in reverse almost. So I'm giving you guys number 30 in the standings. They're number one on the leaderboard. I think obviously whoever has the number one pick is taking Cade Cunningham. And I'm just going down the list of really the bottom dwellers in the NBA right now. The Wizards, Pistons, Rockets, and Raptors are still winless. So they are tied for first place. We got a four-way tie there. The Bulls and the Nuggets are tied at that number five spot. They both have one and three records. And at number five, there is, or yeah, at number seven, my bad. And at number seven, there is a five-way tie as all these teams have a one and two record. We are one of those teams that are sitting out one and two. With this week coming up, I could potentially see us sliding, and I think the expectation is there's going to be a ton of stuff changing. Like, there's no way this holds up again. I don't expect to see the Raptors still at the bottom here with zero wins. I think the Bulls and the Nuggets will rack up a couple. The teams that I am eyeing right now, I still think the Detroit Pistons are not looking that hot. They're 0-4, and I don't think they're going to be winning um, very many games in this next week. I still have them as number one on the leaderboard. At number two, I have a three-way tie by the end of week two. I have the Thunder, Hornets, and Grizzlies all bunched up at second place. Uh, All three of those teams are one and two right now. I think the Thunder, just they're going to slide. The Hornets, same thing with them. I have not been really too impressed with them. Outside of Terry Rozier going off and Gordon Hayward at times doing well, I don't see any consistency with them. And the Memphis Grizzlies, I think Morant being injured is going to be a really big blow to the lineup. I don't even see them winning a single game next week, if I'm going to be frank with you. But yeah, those are my expectations heading into week two. As I said earlier, the top four teams right now on the leaderboard are the Wizards, Pistons, Rockets, and Raptors. Now, Going into um, just more young prospects, I know I mentioned Cade Cunningham. I think it's a good time to talk about the G League. We have a ton of young talents there. And last season, the G League just straight up got canceled due to COVID. This year, they have a bubble set in place. And Disney World will be hosting the G League bubble. It is kicking off in February. The OKC Blue are one of 18 teams participating in the bubble. It will be a 12 to 15 game season. And just an interesting thing with the um, bubble and the G League season, there is going to be a new roster spot added on these lineups. You got your regular lineups, plus you get one vet selection. And what that is, is a five-year veteran is able to be on the G League team. Normally, when you have five-plus years under your belt and you're in free agency, you can't join a G League team. They're allowing you to this year due to the circumstances, and there are some interesting prospects we could look at. Now, for us, we're definitely looking for the younger, like, 18-, 19-year-old guys, but there's still some good players here. I think number one, he doesn't fit this, like, young Label, but Andre Roberson, we could definitely bring him back. 
I think he deserves a chance back in the NBA after that injury. I think he's going to be one of the biggest uh, targets for the contending teams. He was one of the best defenders in the NBA until he had that leg injury a couple years ago. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of attention, and there are teams who want to potentially bring him onto a playoff roster. But, I mean, he still has ties with us. If he is set on being with our organization still, I think we will still offer him, and I think he may want to join. I think there could be mutual interest. His brother, Anthony Roberson, is already on the blue, and I'm not trying to really speculate here, but his girlfriend, Rachel Demita, she keeps posting pictures in Thunder jerseys, man, so there's still a connection between Demita, Roberson, and the Thunder organization. Could there maybe be, like, an under-the-table agreement right now that he could be joining them in Disney World? I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but I do think Roberson could be back um, with the Thunder on the blue. I'd sure like to see it. Some other players, Emmanuel Moutier. I am shocked that he's not on a roster, by the way. He's a former number seven pick. He's only 24. We're constantly looking for guards. Like, you can't go wrong trying to find some of these guards, man. We have SGA, we have Maladon, we have Ty Jerome there. But, I mean, Moutier's still young. He's 24. There was a reason that he got picked so high. You know, how much is left with him when it comes to potential? We've seen Josh Jackson come out of nowhere with the Pistons. Like, he was playing in the G League last season, and now he's, like, playing starter minutes for the Pistons. Maybe Moutier could get his second chance with the Thunder. Another dude, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. He's 25. We know Sam Presti's all over these small forward, shooting guard, just defensive guys who can play really defense on the one through four positions at a high level. Hollis Jefferson, that's his key part of the game. Like he's a defender. Think he'll get attention from multiple teams, but I I think we have a hole at the small forward because Ariza's pretty old. Miller's pretty old. Right now we're kind of playing Dort out of position at the three. And the only other dude I can think of is Josh Hall. He's our other small forward, but he's on a two way contract. So Hollis Jefferson could be getting minutes with us in the G League, and if he impresses, hey, maybe you could upgrade that contract heading into next year. Just some names to look out for in the G League, though. I mentioned both these guys in like segments on my podcast before. Josh Hall and Melvin Frazier Jr. are the names you want to keep in your head. Josh Hall's our two-way contract player. He played like only 30 seconds for us so far um but i think in the g league if he's going with them he should be a huge part i mean he was a five-star prospect freak athlete he's shown he can shoot the ball he can create for himself point forward at six foot eight he could really turn into something for us and the fact he went undrafted is just mind-blowing to me i don't know how we got this kind of value uh after 60 picks but we will definitely take him. I think you look at him as like a Baisley type almost. He He's lengthy. He's athletic. He can handle. He's shown he can pop it. Shot selection is the primary issue there, but he has a really good foundation on him, and I think he will be able to build it. 
The second dude, Melvin Fraser Jr. This is one of the dudes who we signed to like an Exhibit 10 contract a month ago and just immediately waived him. We have his rights for the G League, and I did a whole entire podcast. I think I even titled it like Why Melvin Fraser Jr. is a Gym. I go into so much on Melvin Fraser Jr. and why I like him so much on that one. But I'm just going to give you the brief rundown on him. Melvin Fraser Jr. was the 35th pick, I believe, in 2018. He is six foot six with like a seven, I believe it's like a seven foot two wingspan. So he is a freak. Um, he can play the one through four on defense. He's so good. He's a shot blocker. He is a straight up ball hawk. I think in the G League last year, he was the number five leader in steals. So he's so aggressive on that end already. And we love to see that stuff from our guys already. He can finish inside. Um, he, he was pretty explosive in college. He really was just stuck in the G League with Orlando. And in his minutes with the Magic, when he was actually playing in the NBA, he wasn't a focal point. He was kind of just lingering outside. He was aggressive in college, and he's been a little bit passive thus far. I think we should be able to get him back to just playing aggressive in the paint because he's so, so good when driving inside. And specifically in the transition on these fast breaks, Frazier Jr. is a problem. With that 7-2 wingspan, like I mentioned, he's able to get the shot off even when it's well contested. His arms are so long. You can't really get a block on him unless you're like hitting him in the wrist. And obviously that's going to be a foul. He's shown shooting potential. He grew his game so much in Tulane. I believe that he started off, I think he was a three-year player at Tulane. As a freshman and sophomore, really, he just straight up could not shoot the ball. In his senior year, or excuse me, in his junior year, he improved so much. I think he got a most improved player award. In his conference, he went from shooting 26% from three in his sophomore season to shooting 39% from three. And from the free throw, he went from 66 to 71%. And in his freshman season, he got like 50% there. So major improvements from the free throw line and the three years kind of stagnated. Um, magic. He's been like a 3% three point shooter uh, in his career in the NBA. I think that he could be. I think I'll catch and shoot. I'm comfortable with him. I think he'd be like a 33% three-point shooter. So he's a rotational piece probably if we do get him on the real roster. I was so hyped up when we signed this guy. I thought it was like a real one-year contract or at least like a preseason deal. Ended up not being that, but I think he will be one of the stars of the show for us in the G League bubble. So I think he could potentially just play himself into an NBA contract with us in the future. But anyways, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening. I think I'm going to continue to try to pump the these um, segments out weekly. I don't know exactly if it's going to be on Wednesday every single week, but I'll try to schedule it around there. But yeah, uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you all enjoyed, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.